Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about something perhaps a little bit outside the normal genre of this show, because we're talking about the death of Alex Trebek and the importance of facts and trivia. All this is going to be with our special guest, Paul Hoppy, right after the special break. You have no... <laughs> <laughs> that you have no control over. I love that, it. That neither you, nor I, nor any of us have any control over. Listen to the ad from our corporate overlords. <laughs> Whoa, I mean, uh, hello. So that happened. Uh, welcome back. This is Matthew. I'm your host. Uh, as you can hear, Paul is here and already laughing at me, probably mocking my bad attempt at the Alex Trebek pronunciation of the word genre. Um, Paul, how are we doing? And um, this this episode kind of came from you. So talk to us a little bit about um, how you're doing tonight and why this is kind of something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm good. Uh, it's been It's been a heck of a ride the last week and change, you know. Uh... For, for anyone who, who uh, is listening to this later, I should say we're recording this on um, November 11th, Yeah, so let's see. So we're now on day eight of the Trump insurgency. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're uh, this is happening eight days after the election here in the United States, three days after the election was decided in favor of Joe Biden. And I, I will say that most of you listeners are probably fairly aware of my political leanings. Um, and and especially, especially more recently, but in general, I do try to make it the show not be too explicitly political. Today, both because of where we are timing-wise, but even more so because this is going to be an episode about the importance of facts and why trivi- uh, um, Jeopardy and Alex Trebek were really kind of important parts of our society and pretty important parts of our, parts of our culture. Um, you know, so I imagine that the current disagreements over whether we should live in fact-based reality or the different, you know, visions of what fact-based reality are going to be topics that come up. Um, so, you know, for those who really don't want to listen to political views, maybe this is an episode to skip, but but we are going to really focus on this particular topic. Um, and I'll say, and uh, Paul, I asked you about to talk about the topic and then immediately cut you off, which is, you know, <laughs> fairly cool. uh, not... Uh, I, I would say that's, you know, not traditional for us, but it's not outside the realm of tradition. Um, but part of what, part of what made me think about this when Paul suggested it is, I mean, yeah, this is about, you know, it's a nonfiction, you know, reality show, you could call it a game show. Um, but I mean, one thing I've been really seeing is just the explosion of interest in trivia recently. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always been an interest in it, but especially in like geek worlds and, um, you know, trivia nights at bars have been a big thing for a while, and now that we can't do those, or, like, we shouldn't do those, and I'm wagging my finger at you if you are doing those, if you live in the United States, again, if you live somewhere that is, um, does have a fact-based approach to uh, COVID and you can safely do it, enjoy. Um, but with that not really a possibility, there's been a lot more, like, you know, trivia podcasts, including one by... Um, one that I've been on, The Geek Bracket, a couple of times now. Very good show. I definitely suggest you check it out. Um, here on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, of which this podcast is a part. Um, Stranded Panda Trivia Night on Wednesday nights have become a real uh, big thing that happens on the, um, uh, the Stranded Panda Twitch channel. Um, Paul and I actually were just kind of enjoying that a little while ago until we said, you know, let's just go ahead and record on this topic right now. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it is, it is definitely within the geek genre. Um, genre? 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 Genre. Genre. 
Um, I think the nasal part of it's important too. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we, we're not doing Trebek justice, but it, no, was, not in the it was, I think that was part of his iconic nature was how he pronounced French in general being, being uh, French Canadian, you know, right. French Canadian American or whatever, but. Which is in and of itself. I mean, I would have never guessed that he was multilingual. I mean, you know, I'm sure he, mm. he, he, like, I don't, I, well, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a second. But for me, that's kind of why this topic resonated for me and why I think it's, you know, a stretch for this particular podcast, but still well within the realm of what we talk about because, you know, it's, it's trivia and, and facts and, and why this stuff matters. And uh, I'll be honest, I hadn't realized how much of a following there was for Jeopardy still. I remember watching it with my grandmother as a kid. And then thought most people just kind of forgot about it. And then mm. the last couple of years, you know, I think I have like four friends who've been on it at various yeah. points in time. A lot of people who like are constantly talking about the different like plot lines of the different like stars who are staying on it for a while. And then, you know, a couple of days ago when Trebek passed away, all over the Internet, I just saw this huge outpouring, especially from the, the communities I know that are important to this podcast, um, of people who are really moved by this. And, and Paul, I know you were one of them. So... Yeah, what what for you does this mean? Um, maybe, maybe just start there. Like, what was your feelings when um, we heard the news of Trebek's death? Yeah, so, you know, the, the day before was the day the election was officially called, even though I think it had been fairly clear the day before that. Um, and, you know, that came with a certain level of feelings that mm -hmm. I'm sure most people had one way or another. But uh, then the next day, hearing this, it was like, it was just like, can't, can't we have like two good days in a row? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, um, you know, my, my wife woke up and saw the news and I hadn't really been looking at the news. And then I, you know, when I first saw her in the morning, she was, you know, visibly upset. And, and I just had this, like someone died, you know, yeah. like just sometimes you just know, you know, looking at someone, um, mm -hmm. that something horrible has happened. And, um, yeah, so I mean, I was very upset, and it's—I mean, it's just interesting, like being that upset, feeling that much about someone, um, you know, that I'd never met in person. But when I thought about it, I was like, I've definitely spent hundreds of hours of my time with yeah. him, you know, and um, perhaps a thousand or, or whatever. I'm sure people have spent thousands, right? Because yeah. uh, he did the show for I think 37 years, from 1984 through 2020. Uh, wow, all but one episode, run. right? I mean, that's a, that's a, I don't know if anybody's sort of played the same character for that long, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, but you know, that said, I, I feel like he was pretty transparent. It seemed like he was um, himself. He did play himself on, uh, I think, Hot in Cleveland, and it's brilliant. And if you can <laughs> find that anywhere, check it out. But um, just, I don't know. I feel like within the game show genre, uh, <laughs> Jeopardy occupies uh, sort of a special place. And and I mean, I think any trivia show can, right? But there's there's something about just the fact that the show has gone on, gone on for so long that it's it feels like this very kind of steadying sort of neutral presence to me. And it's got, you know, ancient history and, you know, complex multilingual puns and all sorts of things that, you know, some might be very kind of highbrow seeming, and then it's got all sorts of pop culture, you know, like TikTok related stuff. And oh, that's amazing. So 
and and the thing is is that you know certain clues that are harder are going to be worth more than clues that are easier in theory right but but it's not like you know the highbrow stuff is like worth more than an obscure pop culture reference right so right. there is this sort of like democracy of facts and um you know i i heard recently someone saying that people are losing track of reality right mm. and i feel like that's that's really happening. I think it's really dangerous. Um, it's scary. It makes it hard to kind of engage with people sometimes. And I think just kind of stating the facts and kind of having this like mental exercise of like trying to remember things quickly and then hearing someone say it, uh, I think there's value to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that just just that, you know, Alex Trebek really managed to do it in such an he managed to host in such an even-handed manner um with like kind of just the right level of snark you know Uh it was like (laughs) it was like there was like a little bit of sort of something that you could call like pretentious but there wasn't really because he clearly had a sense of humor about himself and about the world um and sort of a lightness to go with kind of the gravitas yeah and that makes a lot of sense and um there's a couple things here I want to talk about. The, the first, I want to get to Jeopardy and, and Trebek itself, um, but I want to just start with this idea of just a celebrity death and how it hits you. Because yeah. when I read the news, like I said, I other than maybe like one or two episodes that friends of mine are on, I probably haven't watched an episode of Jeopardy in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I watched it with my grandmother. I thought it was fun. I never really stuck with it. I don't have a very good memory for facts like that. I'm not, um, I like I said, I've been on a, uh, a podcast a couple times now and I've, a trivia podcast, and I've done fairly well in part because it's one where it's, you know, in areas that I know really well, uh, and there's more, like, time given because there's a lot of just banter with a host. Um, they're doing it in, like, three or four seconds or whatever it is in Jeopardy, like, just not my thing. Right, yeah, um, it's, it's about speed of recall in Jeopardy. Exactly, exactly. But but just in terms of this, like, the and but I remember I saw it, and my first thought was, oh, I wonder how Paul's doing, because I knew it mm-hmm. meant a lot to you. Yeah. And it did get me thinking about this whole idea of how I feel like in the last couple of years, especially, and part of it's the internet and part of it's just like there's so much bad happening in the world that we're paying attention to things. Every time a celebrity dies, there's all these people who talk about like how this is this, this, you know, it really hit them very hard mm-hmm. and it, you know, it affected them. And I don't mean to sound like callous or cynical, but I, I always never quite understood that. And part of it's because sometimes it would be a character, an actor who I loved what they did 20 or 30 years ago. But hasn't been creating anything new in quite some time. Yeah. And I think there is any, you know, there's a tragedy in any death for sure. And I think there could be something about, you know, like that person mattered to me and they've passed on and that's important. But I think with Trebek especially, it, it does seem like there's a much more visceral connection of like now he's not going to be recording any more episodes. There's no, you know, it, it's not like someone who had finished everything he was going to give to the world 20 years ago. Uh, as I understand it, we were just saying, like, Trebek had recorded his last episode, you know, a week and a half ago when mm-hmm. he passed away. Yeah, like two weeks ago now. Yeah. 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 So I think it's, you know, it's like here's an 80-year-old man, right, who has spent basically the time from about our age until mm-hmm. he turned 80 doing this one thing. Yeah. And really giving, you know, giving a, a ton of himself to it. Now, I, I, I'm i not sure how many hours are actually spent recording a game show, right? Because right. I think they do like five in a day and then they like pretend it's different days. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's like, 
that's I mean that's an that's an awful lot of yourself to give to something. But yeah. on top of that, it's not like you see his body of work and it's done and you know, you look back and you're like, I'm sad that so and so died, but like, you know, that was going to happen eventually, obviously, right? That's mm-hmm. spoiler alert, that's what happens to humans. You know, Jeopardy was peaking. I think Alex Trebek was currently at the height of his popularity. Like in the 80s, I think Jeopardy was very popular. I used to watch it in the 80s and the 90s with my mom. And then in the 2000s, I I actually, I didn't watch it that much. Actually, I pretty much just stopped watching TV entirely. Um, And it was about four or five years ago that I, I started really watching a lot again. And, you know, there were some great runs by some contestants. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Rogers and then uh, James Holtzauer just came along and just destroyed, like just just won everything, right? right. Um, and but this became like news on ESPN, and sometimes it's like having certain people on the show can really blow it up. But you know, then they they also did an All Star Game and and then this great of greatest of all time series, and it really felt like uh, there was actually an increased interest in Jeopardy and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, like we can think about, oh, you know, they could have Ken Jennings host, they could have Brad Rutter host, they could have Buzzy Collins, like, you know, there's people that come to mind, but right. it's like, it will never be the same show, you know, because um, I mean, you do a thing for 37 years, every episode, but one, like, uh, April Fool's episode that Pat Sajak hosted, I think. <laughs> um, a great gimmick. It days. is, and then, and then uh, Alex hosted um, Wheel of Wheel Fortune. Fortune. But it's like, I I just feel like facts and like engaging with things that you can say, yes, this is true. No, this isn't true. Like having a correct answer to things. I feel like this is something that at least a lot of people, I think, feel more of a need for now. Yeah. And just in terms of the celebrity death thing, it's like, yeah, this is someone who was active. He was as active as as, um, Chadwick Boseman was. Like he was a lot older, right? Right. So as far as a tragedy, it feels a little different, but it's someone who's still creating content that, you know, I, w- I was going to watch something today. You know, I mean, we did watch it's rerun now, but there's still right. some episodes that are coming out. And it's like, that's I don't know, that's going to feel weird. Yeah. I mean, like, I think one of the ones that has hit me the most um, <clears throat> and it was earlier this year and of covid was when John Prine, a musician, passed away mm-hmm. and. John Prine is not terribly well known. He's kind of a a, a country blues uh, musician, but one of my absolute favorites, and um, has played a couple of songs that have had like very important musical power for me. And you know, when I heard that he died, I wanted to like you know sit and like listen to his music for all you know a couple of hours and really just like sink back into it. But there wasn't like any thought of like, oh no, now he's not going to re- produce the next album. You know, like he was done. Right. Um, and it's I not think like that, Jimi Hendrix or Kurt Cobain kind of like. Right. You know, or, or RGB or, you know, anyone who's like, you know. Sure. It, maybe it was, RGB is actually another great example because also mm-hmm. quite old, also quite sick, but like in the midst of doing stuff. Yeah. Um, although the um, replacement of Trebek is hopefully not going to be quite so controversial. <laughs> <and> fraught. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. But yeah, you actually make a really good point about how, you know, I think for many people, but especially in the last, like, you know, four to five years, I I feel like there's two different things that are sort of making facts feel much more relevant. Part of it is uh, what we've kind of touched on a bit. I'm sure we'll keep talking about the fact that just we're we're, we're as a society, especially in this country, 
not agreeing on common facts anymore, you know? And you can say this has been going on for years and, like, different discussions about, like, you know, how did the Iraq War start and all that kind of stuff. But especially more recently, like, just, you know, basic things like climate change. What the vote count was in the 2016 election and now, of course, this one. But just over the last four years, so many just, like, the basic facts, you know, people saying that Sandy Hook wasn't real or that the World Trade, you know, the moon landing wasn't real, stuff like that. Like, we saw the World Trade Center there and then not there. Yeah. But there's people like, oh, that didn't happen. It's like... Yeah, I mean, I... I was a half mile away. I have PTSD because I saw it. Like it was yeah. true. It happened. Um, but, but yeah, like all these things. And I, and so I imagine there's definitely a, a feel of like wanting to have, you know, that there being a clarity of facts, but also because I think for, for a lot of people, especially younger folks, um, but even like, you know, people like you and I, who are, who are, I think, you know, solidly Gen X, but I think especially for millennials that there's, you know, there's been so much talk in the culture about like, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. We, we went to college. We took out the loans. We now look for a job. And the, the path of life that, that you know, so many folks were, were told to go on is now not leading to the places it's supposed to lead. And there's just so many questions mm-hmm. about, like, wait, what do you mean we can't even trust, like, you know, the us to agree on basic facts? Or what do you mean, like, we can't get the jobs that our parents always told us we could have? Or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I wonder if that also just makes people really want to have a, you know— a half hour of just like, yep, here are solid facts that everyone can agree on. This movie was released at this time, you know. This right. was the year that this king was overthrown, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's like uh, sort of a paradoxical. This would be uh, and you know in the oxymoron category of uh, that was on on today's Jeopardy, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, escapism into reality. Mm. It's like that's a you great know, phrase. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think I just coined it. But it's like, basically, we have this whole super surreal world, especially just like what we're dealing with right now in terms of the pandemic and mm-hmm. just everything going on in the world. And p- this, you know, this denial of facts, this like alternative facts era that we're going through. And to sort of just escape into like, these things are real, but like, they're not necessarily things that we're engaging with on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, you know, I, I, part of my grad school degree was kind of like the the history of thought and things like that. And, you know, in school, we studied postmodernism quite a bit and, and postmodernism is really about the sort of move away from objective reality, you know, and, um, not, that's a weird way of saying it. I more mean a move away from defined objective reality, mm-hmm. you know, that like people just say like there are two genders, man and woman, you know, that right. that that these are the way things are that, you know, you're, you're supposed to like this is the way the language should be. And then a lot of postmodernism was about like, well, wait a minute, like there really isn't that much. So many of the things that we think of, of as objective truth are really much more subjective than we think they are, you know, mm-hmm. and that. So many of these things are measured, but, you know, you know, this system is always a better economic system or a better governmental system than someone else. Well, well, by what standards? You know, these are all subjective things. Right. And and I kind of feel like on some level, like when that was taken to like, you know, apply to the idea that like the things that you think you're measuring objectively are often wrong is, I think, a very important development in human thought. But it's now almost like, and I don't think it's anything to do with postmodernism. It's just the the weird culture we're in. Mm-hmm. Is now at the point where, like you said, like the the basic facts are no longer objective. Um, and and one thing I, I think of a lot of lot uh, here in this idea is, 
have you seen that cartoon about um a a drawing on the ground that looks like a six if you're on one side of it but looks like a nine on the other side of it and there's two people arguing about like what it really is yeah i also think it could be interpreted as a g just for the record also but legitimate. i have <laughs> also legitimate um well and, I, and i've seen that i think that's and to me that's kind of like a definition of postmodernism right but then i've also seen a more uh recent one that says so Wait a minute. No, the, the point here is like the person who drew that was intending to draw either a six or a nine like, probably there, yes probably yeah like there, there can be an objective understanding of like this is what they were creating exactly. someone can see it differently now but like yes. there's at least that objective reality yes and and also just that the things that people create or like that are with a purpose and if somebody is saying something deliberately to communicate a per- particular thing it's like I think it's like actually fairly deep. It's like different people will hear it differently and interpret it differently, but right. that doesn't mean that the intention was different. Right. Right. And, and that gets into all sorts of questions about like, you know, sometimes like even if your intent is one thing, like the harm you do is still something else. And I think that yeah. matters. Yeah. But, but just, I mean, it, it, like you said, even just like the objective facts of like a human being has actually put their feet on the moon. That, right. That is not debatable. I mean, you, we can argue about if you believe it or not, but it is a, it's an objective fact. Planes crashed into the World Trade Center. Little children were shot at Sandy Hook. You know, um, the the or, or even you know like the the New York Mets won the 1986 World Series. Right. Um, the know, Holocaust happened. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just it's amazing to me that we're in this world now where just all of those things are now being questioned. You know that mm-hmm. now we have the you know that the internet gives people the ability to just make up this, these denials that so many people will believe. Well, so the thing is that I think all of these things have always been questioned to some extent, uh-huh. but they were questioned in a sort of like, you know, speculative people talking with their pals kind of thing, right? right? But now what's happening is that people are coming to these, you know, they're they're making these allegations against the facts basically and yeah. broadcasting them across the world and, and they're spreading much r- more rapidly so on the one hand facts and you know information can travel more rapidly now than it did in the past and right. so that means that you know facts things that are verifiably true can spread faster can spread faster but so can you know anti-facts right, right. someone can make something up spread it you know and then people see it and they remember it and you know people don't it's kind of exhausting to like source check everything right Mm -hmm. to like try to try to look everything up all the time and be like well what is this source and you know i think questioning is super healthy right i think it's necessary i think people need to question um like everything basically right but the thing is, like, then people need to listen to the answers and look yeah. at look at the evidence. And there's a lot of things where, you know what, we don't have facts about certain things, right? Or the facts we have are essentially data, right. and the data suggests something, but we should take that conclusion with a level of uncertainty. People really struggle with uncertainty, right? Yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure probably there have been some clues throughout the 37-year the run of Jeopardy where... You know, something was thought to be one way and the clue was presented a certain way. And then it turns out later on, on future whatever that maybe it's not as, you know, 
oh, yeah. cut and dry, right? So, I mean, that's a thing. And so some level of questioning is is healthy, but just the kind of like, no, that's not true because I said it's not true. And then people just going along with it. It's like, well, where's your evidence? Like, do you have literally any evidence? It's like, no, I'm just going to make this claim. And then people are going to believe it just because. And it's interesting. I, I want to deal with that main thing, but just first on the, this idea of how the internet has helped the, you know, the people making the claim. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. There's always been some degree of it happening. But what I think used to happen is, you know, Joe would say in his neighborhood bar, hey, do you really think they actually landed on the moon? And everybody in the bar would be like, of course, you idiot. They did. Shut up. And then 100 miles away, you know, um, Jody would say in her sewing circle, you know, I'm using incredibly gendered ideas. Forgive me for that. But, you know, just, you know, it, the idea being that, like, all these different people in all these different parts of the world would maybe have the same question, but they wouldn't know anyone else who's having the same question. So they'd just right. shout it down and never think about it. Now they can all find each other. Yes. And it, it's kind of this double-edged sword because – and this is, again, it's the postmodern thing because when – the idea is, well, of course, you know, um, you know, Western imperialism is the best way to help, you know, people in the developing world. Like, okay, questioning that's probably a good thing. When it's, right. you know, do people actually die of COVID? Maybe questioning that's not so good. And I think that's the. I, I've heard that the idea that the, the internet is the bluntest of blunt hammers, you know, mm. and that that's the kind of problem. Is it's sort of like we used to have this culture of expertise, and mm-hmm. you know. We trusted experts, and if you know, if people told us this is how it is, we believed them. And if they told us, like you know, the Earth is flat, we believed them. When they told us the Earth was round, we believed them. When they told us, you know, this race is genetically superior to another race, we believed them. And so there's some value to saying, you know, let's not just believe them. Mm-hmm. For but sure. the internet is such a hammer, you know, and so it's it. it I never would have thought I'd say this 15 years ago, but I feel like I often find myself wishing that there was more of a sense of like, let's trust experts. Let's not think we're all the smartest person in the room. And let's just believe like the people with the fancy letters after the name might actually know more about climate change than our buddy from high school 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do usually believe I'm the smartest person in the room. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but like the thing is, it's like, that doesn't mean that I think that I'm an expert at everything. Right. Right. Or that somebody else isn't also very, very smart. And, you know, the thing is like, for me, a lot of these things are like, okay, I, I, I don't really want to just take the word of experts. right? Right. What I, what I want is like, show your work. Right. You're an expert at something. Show your work. I like reading sort of um, science or academic type writing for lay people. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important, like maybe even like the most important field of writing that exists where somebody who has spent decades studying a subject, devoting their life to understanding a thing. Right then decides to find a way to kind of try to boil that down and share that knowledge with the greater public. Mm -hmm. And I think the more of that we have, and if people actually listen to these things and don't draw the wrong conclusions, which is another issue, like people hear the 10,000 hour rule and then they think one thing, but then it's like, well, you know, maybe that's not perfect. And there's, you know, there's there should be a range of issues and different things but you know i think i think part of the problem is that just like so many of these things have become politicized mm-hmm. as opposed to just being like okay let's 
let's understand the level of uncertainty we have in the world, right? Let's understand that there are people who really devote their lives to, to understanding very, very specific fields, right? Really delving right. into the minutia and then find a way to like be okay with the, the, the fact that like they don't know everything and that they might not be able to explain all the details to everyone, right. but that like there should be a way to kind of summarize and be like, you know, here's the basics of how this works. And if you want to understand it, you can look into it. And the, to me, I feel like the optimal position is like some some expert makes a claim and I feel like I have two legitimate sources. Uh, sources? No. I feel like I have two legitimate options, right? One is to say, okay, that's an interesting claim. I want to see your work and I'm going to study this and look into it and try and actually develop some level of understanding, right? right? Which when it comes to things like you know, um, human accelerated climate change, you can do that. You can actually go and look at it and learn the science. It's not that complicated. Right. And, you know, there's other things. But then the other option is basically just like trust the experts. I feel like those are the two legitimate options. Whereas basically being like, ah, what do they know? Or like, I'm going to trust this person who doesn't study this field at all. Or I'm going to trust the one out of a hundred people without actually reading like the science or, or right. trying to learn the science that I think is quite irrational and, and harmful and dangerous. Right. And I think, I mean, one of the things I think is that like, cause you, you talk about how there's two options of figure it out for yourself or, you know, check mm. their work or trust the experts. Yes. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that used to be able to happen is it used to be that the number of experts was much smaller, you know, like right. just take the news. Like, you know, there was three news networks from which you got your news and, right. ABC, NBC, and CBS. And, like, you know, granted, there, there are incredible biases, to be sure. But for the most part, like, when they reported facts, those facts were probably f as accurate as they could be. You know, if the U.S. government was lying to them, like, maybe they weren't. But, like, you know, when they recorded this many deaths happened in Vietnam, mm -hmm. those statistics were probably fairly accurate. Right. And I, I feel like, you know, when and when it was, you know, like maybe there's like four or five scientists who like go on the news and talk about different things, you know, at various points. And, mm -hmm. and, and at that point, you could say, OK, I've heard this person twice. Both times I've checked their work myself and both times it checked out. Yeah. I, I'm going to now just put a check mark next to that person's name and be like, yeah, I can check that person, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that. It's such a hard thing because I think obviously so much damage was done in this country by the fact that we trusted people who we shouldn't have. Right. But like one of one of the stories that I always remember is, um, you know, I was very fascinated by the Vietnam War uh, when I was young and especially the um, the discussions that happened here at home about the Vietnam War. And, you know, I had some conservative folks in my family and my, my circle of like, you know, my family's friends and things like that. And I remember talking to people who had been like very big supporters of the Vietnam War for a long time, you know, and who thought like these crazy hippies were un-American and stuff like that and all this. And when I asked them like what changed their mind, probably 90% of them all said the same thing. And it was when Walter Cronkite said on national television, you know, that we're losing this war. Right. And I've always thought that that's one of the things is that, you know, right now our sources of information are such, and it's so easy to get different sources of information that now you know, Walter Cronkite could say something that challenged what people believed. And a lot of folks would think, okay, well, 
if Walter Cronkite is telling me this, then maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's probably way too much power for one person to have. Agreed. But it's still there's a, there's something there about like you know, I think that's one of the things we're fundamentally missing today is for quite a lot of us, you know, we we go to the media sources that mostly you know back up our biases. Mm-hmm. And if a media source tells us something that challenges something we believe, well, it's pretty easy to then think, eh, okay, well that person's been corrupted or that person's too right wing or too left wing. Right. I'm gonna go find another media source that that challenges them. Yeah, I think there's been such a conflation between basically reporting um, like news, like reporting mm-hmm. events and I facts, basically, and political opinion. And the and these things are not clearly marked, right? And so I think th- there really is a there's like way more. Um, way more different news outlets right now, Mm -hmm. but there's not, there's like a dearth of really just neutral, I think, presentation of fact. And the thing is what you get is this faux neutrality where you get often in the media, you get tons of people saying, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, the Democrats say this and the Republicans say this. So, oh, it's one or the other, or, you know, we presented both sides. Right. And I feel like more recently, there's been a lot more of the, you know, the Democrats say this and the Republicans say this and the Republicans are wrong, Um, which, you know, I I mean, in the last week or so, there actually has been a comforting amount of like, so and so has made allegations of election fraud, despite absolutely no evidence being presented, you know, and I I mean, even for like the last year and a half or so. There was a lot of that just in very, like, soft-pedaled language. It was, you know, yes. someone mistakenly claimed or, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. claimed even though. But but my point is, and again, not to make it even just too political because I think it's about so many of these things. I, I think you're right. There isn't any of, like, there are sources that either do what you do, what you're talking about, which is saying, um, you know, well, let's find both sides. But then the flip side, when you do have different arguments where – one one side's argument is more factually based than the other side's. Yeah. The source that names that is now immediately going to be seen as being biased, you know? For sure. And I mean, and to be clear about the sort of two sides thing, it's like a lot of times there's a lot more than two sides to stories yeah. also, right? Also so true. there's like these two very party, poli- there are these two very powerful political parties. That's not that easy to say uh, <laughs> in, in the United States. And, I think both viewpoints tend to be presented as like the two viewpoints. And then maybe you'll get a presidential primary. And within that, there'll be like two separate viewpoints. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, a lot of things like not even political, not, not even just, it's like, it's hard to just get just like here is an account of things that definitely happened. Right. Right. With, without, editorialization and even just I I think what kind of what you were just saying is that even if some an account of what happened Mm -hmm. is presented without editorial comment it is often perceived as being editorial nonetheless simply because it took a position on like what the facts were yeah and I also think here's another a place where this breaks down a lot because you talked earlier about the importance of taking data, you know, taking very complex scientific things or mathematical things or whatever they are 
and putting them in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I see happen a lot is there is the attempt to take things that are put into layman's, put them into layman's terms, which sometimes does mean kind of like fudging some details, you know, like to make it like kind of like, you know, you skip over a couple of steps in the process to make it all seem more understandable. Um, and once you do that, I mean, like there can be some value to that, but it also can immediately call into question your credibility. And and there's definitely, I think, a, a, again, because of this idea of everyone's an expert, you know, you find one person doing that once and now the whole field of study is, you know, I think. Right. Like the, the example I think of is, you know, we do have documented cases of climate change scientists who were attempting to make their case and and cherry picked the facts somewhat or, you know, you know told their story in the best possible light mm-hmm. because they were trying to convince the world of an existential threat, which right. I'm okay with a little bit of zealousness in that particular cause. Um, but, you know, the couple things that were exposed as being not accurate um, then get, you know, used to, to say all this, you know, all these experts don't know anything. All of this is meaningless. Right. And, and I think that's a, I, I think it's a big problem actually is, this uh, sort of lack of trust in the audience. And mm-hmm. I understand it, but I, I think a lot of the problem is that news is a product yeah. that is basically consumed, or is it the product or it's the advertising for the the product, which is the thing you buy when you look at the advertising or, or something. But yeah. the, the point being is that uh, the news is not produced primarily for the purpose of delivering information to the public, the news is primarily produced to get views, right? And right. and also there is this sort of like thinking, oh, well, people aren't going to bother to understand this. And, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, I, I read, you know, 538 a lot. And I find, you know, I find that they have a little bit of, it, it feels to me like sort of a, a centrist bias, and right? And for anyone who doesn't know, um, 538 is the, um, if you've heard of Nate Silver, you know, who's very well known for being like one of the best, you know, the someone who does a lot of data research around um, politics, but also sports and stuff like that. And and he's very well known for being kind of like the, the leading expert in many people's eyes on, you know, polling in, in political races. And 538 is the website and sort of the production company that puts out all that stuff. Right. And, and I mean, more specifically, he was he was originally a professional poker player, I believe, who then became a, a sports better and made predictions for uh, made models, basically projection models. Not I don't want to say prediction for 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 baseball statistics. Right. Yeah, especially and for like then, fantasy sports and stuff like that. Right. Like exactly. Betting, betting markets. But yeah. um, anyway, which actually is a similar uh, career track to uh, James Holzhauer, who just never got into the politics. Oh, uh, But <laughs> who's the, you know, um, probably the, the greatest Jeopardy player of all time, even though Ken Jennings won the GOAT tournament. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just my little thing. Um, to, to draw it a little bit back to Jeopardy for a moment. But uh, yeah, so, you know, on, on 538, something they do, and, you know, there's a few other sites that do this, not necessarily so much for political stuff, but for sports stuff. And certainly uh, sometimes I see this in, in poker and gambling type literature is basically recognizing and and naming uncertainty right where very often like they don't do polling at 538 they analyze and talk about the polls right Right. which is a very different thing so there's people who go out and do polls and you know yada 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 
And what they do at, at 538 is look at them and comment on them and comment on other statistical things. And But something, when we're looking at, at data, when we're looking at you know statistics and analyzing things, we very we have actually quantifiable uncertainty, right? right? Like we can say, oh, well, the polls show an eight-point lead, but there's like, I think a 67% chance or something that it'll be within four points in either direction, right? And that would be like a normal polling error. And and in 2016 and 2020, that's about where the polls were, right? That's about how off they were. Right. So. But people look and they say, oh, you told me there's going to be a landslide. And it's like, well, on 538, they didn't. They said that was a possibility. A close election one way or the other were both possibilities. But meanwhile, in most of the media at large, there's this sort of this is the prediction as opposed to like a projection, which a projection should show like a range of possible outcomes. Right. Right. And when we look at information and we're trying to understand, like we could even look at something like climate change, right? And say, well, we can look at basically the range of possibilities. Okay, if you wanna say that there's some chance that it's not primarily human driven, you can look at that, but then you wanna say, okay, what's the percentage chance of that? And you look at it and you're like, oh wow, that's a really negligible percentage, right? Mm -hmm. And, but even if it was like 50-50, it's like, it might still be something you wanna do something about, right? right. And there's a lot of things like that where, you know, just having sort of like a probabilistic understanding of the world, I think can be very valuable. And I think it's going to take a while for humans to like really get there. Right. Like when an expert says something, you know, I, I mean, I said there's kind of two reasonable positions, but I think the third reasonable position, which is like kind of the correct one, is you hear someone who you know is an expert in a field say something and your first reaction should be, that's probably true. Right. Right. And, not and I, that's definitely true. Not that's not true. That's probably true. And I do think, and here we're getting more off the topic of Jeopardy, and, and I'll use this to pull it back somewhat. I think this is one of the areas of human knowledge that people most don't understand is in terms of probability. And I'll I say, um, you know, just to, uh, we'll let you talk about this more, but I know, Paul, uh, under Zed Man Man, you're kind of developing this project now about teaching learn, you know, teaching people how to learn. And that yeah. one of the things you and I have talked about a lot, especially because, you know, we talk about poker so often, is how much humans don't understand probability. And and one thing I think is fascinating is that humans understand probability in ways that are incredibly variable to the situation. Because like you said, like, in a lot of situations, people will say, like, oh, there's a 5-10% chance, that means it, it won't happen. Like, 90% right. chance equals a guarantee. But on a flip side, I'll give you an example. Um, I used to work in an auto dealership in the service department. And mm -hmm. one of the things we did was recalls. And, mm. you know, every now and then, we would publish something that said, hey, everybody who owns this particular model of Toyota from this particular year, because of something we've discovered, there is a... 1.2% chance that your car could have this major problem sometime in the next two years. The rush of phone calls we would get within an hour of that press release going out saying, you need to fix my car right now. <laughs> you know, because there, yeah. the 1.2 yeah. percentage means it's got to be 100%, you know? Right, right. Um, well, and, and let me pull it back to Jeopardy a bit then, because, uh, I mean, this is a great topic to keep going off on, but it's, it's based in this Jeopardy thing. All of this is about probability, everything we've just been talking about, and how mm -hmm. there's a search, there's a desire for objective truth, 
and with probability, like you, there's an objective truth about the the, the odds and the probability right. in this, but but like you said, that's never going to mean this is exactly what's going to happen in climate change. Yeah. Um. Why do you think that it is so important that what Jeopardy like Jeopardy is never about you know can you guess what percentage this that chance this would have been Jeopardy is always about like this specific fact what what's the importance of that I mean so if you had like a probabilistic trivia show I think that would be very challenging yeah <laughs> but I <laughs> I I think you know there's there's something comforting about certainty right yeah. and it's like you know we know what um sting's given name was at birth like that's a fact that's not you know oh there's a 20 percent chance it was gordon sumner and there's like a 50 percent. it was gordon sumner that, right. <laughs> that was, that, i'm pretty sure uh you know like archibald leach like these are these are actual facts right these are things that are verifiable and you can give a correct answer incorrect answer and you know i mean there's an extent to which knowledge is power right and these are things that you can know. And some of them, sometimes there's things where you like have to figure something out using multiple pieces of knowledge, where it's kind of more like a puzzle, or like a before and after category or whatever. But, you know, it's understanding uncertainty and sort of uh, probabilistic um, sort of like spreads of likelihoods of things. That's great. And that's super powerful. And I think if we get better at that as a species, like the world will be a better place. Right. But like, maybe that's next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe, you know, uh, we can try to agree on some things that we know are true. And, you know, I like, I, you know, I think there's like a little bit of a sort of like liberal blue lean to Jeopardy, but mm -hmm. like not that much. Right. I mean, it's like most, mostly these are things that people are like, yeah, that's, that's an answer. That answer is correct. And it doesn't really matter so much what you think about the rest of the world. It's like, that's something we can agree on. And I think if there's all these things we don't agree on, then having some things we can agree on, it almost to me feels like a little bit like a starting point. Yeah. I, I mean, like I listen to so many debates and discussions where, you know, I, I studied debate in high school and college and I was on debate teams and like, the, the definition of a debate in terms of like the ancient Greek ideas was that like you have to have a certain agreed upon set of principles and then you can argue about which way you should go with those principles to like, you know, through values and ideas to get to like your conclusion. But that if you start with different principles, you're never going to get anywhere. Right. You know? And think about like a lot of the like most contentious political debates in our society right now are about things that are harder to, to define an objective reality about in part yeah. because that like, you know, uh, and like to me, the, the topic of abortion, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I worked in the field of abortion for a long time in terms of the, the political activist around it. I'm very much on the reproductive justice side, pro-choice side. And, and every now and then they, and I, but I was part of a group that was about like philosophers and theologians. And we would do events where, you know, it would be a couple of, philosophers or theologians who are pro-choice and a couple of scientists or doctors and someone would ask the doctor you know when does life begin and the doctor would turn to our table and say let them if you know if they tell us what they define life as right because that's more of a philosophical question yeah. we'll then tell you at what point that scientifically happens you know mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the point is but then when you have you know someone who is you know 
reproductive justice versus someone who is pro-forced birth, um, you know, you're going to, or pro-life as they will call it, a different terminology. Hmm. Um, the, you know, you then have a question of, you have two people who are debating based on fundamentally different principles. Right. Because the fact is, you know, if you do fundamentally believe that a human life that has the same value as any other human life is existing inside the, the body of a person, then, yeah, that's going to lead you to incredibly different logical conclusions and moral conclusions than if you don't. But because the fundamental debate is about that thing of which it's hard to say an objective reality because it's it, it's a large part like based on your understanding of, of personhood and bodily integrity and, and life and all this – Finding an objective reality, that's almost impossible. And, you know, same thing with um, governmental policy or, or taxes or, or in a, you know, it can also be about, like, an objective reality that I think you and I are pretty close to agreeing on or that, that you and I think is pretty close to objective is that Zack Snyder does a bad job of making DC movies. Um, but I would say that's highly subjective. Well, but. yeah, I mean, but, that, but that's my point. Like, if you listen to the first yeah. thirty episodes of this podcast, we 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 trolled Zack Snyder at least once every damn episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's my point. Like, you Hashtag and I take it as like man. almost an objective reality, but of course it's not. Of course it's incredibly subjective. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I bring this up because I just listened to a great episode of um, Binger's Assemble, where a couple of the folks on that one. We're, we're talking about all the reasons why they loved Batman vs. Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice. And I, I was listening to it thinking, yeah, this is I, – I don't agree with them, but I can see why if I start from the starting point they do, they could get to the point that this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I, I guess to me all, what all this is saying is that, like, if we could just get to a point of having some agreement on objective truths, you know, on saying, like, you know um, – having an objective understanding of like, this is the direction that the climate is going and that this is the connection that carbon has to it. What should we do about it? You know, this is the, you know, when women superheroes star in movies, they make money. You know, the idea that they don't is, is objectively proven wrong. Can we, you know, move past that? Um, And I, uh, there's a quote from the five thirty eight article that, um, that you pointed out that you highlighted this that I wanted to read. Um, I guess in this 538 article talking about why Jeopardy was important uh, and, and Trebek was important, it says, It was also a way to get real facts, a brief respite from the alternative facts so prevalent over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of things where, you know, it's like, where does life begin? Okay, I don't think we're going to, like, really solve that here. I mean, right. it, in terms of, scientifically it's like well there's different sort of things like that you could mean right and you can decide whether you think people should have control over their own body or not i guess but uh <laughs> i'm I mean, pretty against that i mean you having that control i think we're agreed on that but yeah I, yeah i mean i won't even get to like what my actual views are because they're so far beyond what people think of uh <laughs> right i mean because you and i you're a vegan. You have a fundamental yeah. different idea of the value of animal life than I do, you know? And that's not one that um, – th- there's not an objective reality to discuss there. You know, it's it's the values we place on things. I mean there there are objective realities though to discuss that like, you know, a dog has intelligence that is commensurate with like a two-year-old human. Right. A pig has com- intelligence that's at least that high and is, you know – 
are social creatures. Like these are objective facts, right? For People sure. can decide whether or not that matters to them. Right. You know, um, and I can say to me, like, yeah, a random adult pig, I think I value their life as much as a one-year-old human, you know, and to most humans that might seem ridiculous, but like, it makes sense to me, right. you know? Um, but the objective facts aren't like what has more value. Like that's subjective. Right. The objective facts are like, you know, we can look at cognitive ability, like sentience in terms of like feelings, stuff like that. And and that's something. But I, I do think that's something where science can basically present facts that I think can change people's minds. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, once upon a time, a lot of people thought of animals as like machines, basically like automatons, right. um, which eventually I think will get to the point where there are machines that have feelings and then i think there will be a lot of debate about how said machines should be treated and hopefully they'll be treated well and and they won't end up having to kill all the humans it is an objective but... reality that somewhere jacob leachish's ears just perked up um he was the former <laughs> podcast host for quite a while whose twitter name is bots are people too because he's a firm <laughs> believer in you know the the, the social and human rights of bots so yeah mm -hmm. exactly um but you know there there are things that are just demonstrably true demonstrably false and i think there's some comfort in that and when we are having discussions about things when we're having arguments about things if we don't begin with a, a common set of these things are true what conclusions do we want to draw from them what then then we can't really have a, a substantive um useful conversation right? right we can't really get anywhere and i think it's one of the things that really appealed about jeopardy was it was facts being presented with absolutely no context you know right. it was it was about like you know uh, you know if you ask it is yes yeah, if you ask in most most situations like the capital of different countries like often there's a question of like okay so what political argument are you making there now you know like um, you know, what's the capital of Israel is an incredibly political question right now. Is it mm, Jerusalem right. or is it Tel Aviv? Um, but on Jeopardy, it can just be like, you know, in what year did the Israeli government declare that Jerusalem was now its new capital? Like that, that's sure. an objective fact. Right. That, or what city was declared the, this by this government at this time? Like right. that's a fact, right? What you take from that, that can be its own. Right. And, and it's funny that, I mean, like, cause I think that's something that is so valuable and I, you know, I, I wonder if – let me ask you this. Like, do you think of that? Like, um, I know there's a lot of times where, like, you know, you might read a fact online and you want to go double-check it. Um, if you've heard <laughs> Alex Trebek say it, is he now in that category for you of that's an expert I can trust? Or, like, if you're going to use an argument based on a fact you heard in Jeopardy, are you going to double-check it? I double-check everything. <laughs> that's fair. It's like a compulsion. Like, if there's something I'm interested in, I look it up and right. try to get some more information about it. Um, I would say that, yeah, in general, if something is stated on Jeopardy, I will assume that it is almost... I, I wouldn't put it in probably true. I'd go in almost definitely because it's not so much just, you know, Alex Trebek said it, right? Um, very authoritatively, but... You know, also a shout out to the Clue writers, like, you know, no one person makes a thing, everything that it is. And, and Alex would regularly give um, uh, credit to the Clue crew or whatever they uh, mm -hmm. call them. Um, and that, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of research that goes into the show, right? And 
because also you have to think about like what are the potential other answers that will be correct or the the other correct questions to the answer that is given right um but yeah i mean when i hear something and there have been a few things where i was a little bit like uh you know i don't know if that's exactly how i would say something when it was like a field that i like had ex a high level of expertise at, at like poker or something right mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean i i think extremely reliable in terms of making sure to get the facts right and one thing is in terms of pronunciation like trebek would like make diacritical marks to like you know make sure that he had the pronunciation of everything correct oh, before awesome. the show so that you know he's not like saying um something repeatedly mispronouncing it and then you know because millions of people are watching yeah. like yeah if i hear him say something i'm like okay that's how it's pronounced you yeah. know especially if it's french yeah <laughs> well and that, that's interesting because he's Quebecois French. And so yeah, I imagine exactly. like people in like Paris might be like, what are you talking about? That's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> how those idiotic Canadian provincials pronounce it. But, you know, um, um, but, well, they can get bent. I want to move to Montreal, not Paris. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Although I'll take Paris. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest with you. That's so good of you. <laughs> you get good health care. <laughs> so magnanimous. Um, it won't take you in one of those places, but the other. Um, but, but I'll, yeah. I'll and, get there. Would say, I'll get there. Yeah, I'll get I know, there. I know. Um, I, I'm just you know commenting which one is historically considered a little more welcoming to Americans. Um, neither. Right. Well, That's what I do. That, that was the punchline. Neither. <laughs> Wait, which one is? Is Montreal? I think Montreal is. Considered oh, I guess much so. More welcoming yeah. To Americans. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, this is a subjective thing. It's not you right, know, right, right. People talk right, about that... like, Parisians are rude to Americans. That's a subjective truth. It's not. A re it, it might be based in a lot of reality, but right. But it, it's a stereotype, and it's like you know, we're we're not going to have that be a, a Jeopardy question, right? Because um, again, might also, I think that's a, a um, that's another part of the probability thing of like you know, if you say you know, like most Americans are much more you know, American culture is much more in favor of guns than most other cultures. Uh, mm. yeah, th that is probably. Like, it depends on exactly how you're measuring it, but but by most standards, that's probably objectively true. But then I'd someone, say it's a fair claim. Yeah. Someone will yeah. think, like, you know, you, you have to then define it and say, like, you know, what right. percentage of Americans or whatever it is. But yeah. then if someone then says, like, oh, you're a random American, you must be a gun lover. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Right. Um, but, but pulling it back to the, the Trebek thing as well, the Jeopardy thing, um, I, you were kind of getting at this, and I wanted you to kind of name it. In my little bit of research, one thing I also really came to understand is that, and I think you could tell this from the show, I have definitely seen game shows where the host is there because they are charismatic and because they're very good at interacting with the um, <clears throat> with the contestants, but they're often just as surprised by the answer as anybody else, you know? Mm. And they're literally right. just reading it off a card and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I always got the impression that, like, Trebek took the time to, like, Un know and understand the questions and like hear the answers and like that he was at least in some way involved with the clue getters um uh, or at least in that process in some way is that something you know more about or um is it all kind of just like inside baseball that hasn't really been talked about i don't know too much about that uh i'm sure there's an amount that's that that's been discussed i don't think like if you were to go on the show a week ago or a year ago or whatever that he would be like the best of all time or anything yeah uh, I do think that he engaged with the material in a very real way. And, right. you know, um, 
it, it never felt to me like he was just like reading off a card, mm -hmm. right? I, I think there definitely is, is a feel which I trust to an extent, you know, that like he, during a show, like he knew those answers, mm -hmm. right? Like before the show, before the clues were made, I'm sure he didn't know all the answers, yeah. right? But, um, you know, none the contestants don't know all the answers, even even the best. But but there there is an extent to which he engaged with the material that I think exceeds sort of the uh, typical or your average um, game show trivia type host, I would say. Yeah. yeah it makes me wonder, like, um, I would love it if, and maybe they have, but I'd love it if one day Jeopardy published, like, these are the official sources that our clue givers go to. You know, mm, yeah. like what are their definitive sources? Cause there have to be, right. you know, and yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's, I would be, I would be interested in that. I would like to use those sources yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, good thing. Um, what, one last thing that I wanted to talk about and, and then kind of hear more from you and then we can start to wrap up. Um, it, this is just kind of on the general, um, back to the kind of just the philosophy of knowledge to some extent um, and the internet and all this and, and all the, the, the reasons why, the objective facts of Jeopardy have become so important to people. When I was in college, I studied a lot of, you know, 18th, 19th century philosophical thought. You know, and this was the time when a lot of the kind of, you know, the the philosophies that underpin a lot of sort of modern liberal democracies and, and modern philosophy were developing. You know, like John Locke and um, uh, Thomas Hobbes and um, John Stuart Mill and, and, and Adam Smith and all these people and, um, and Karl Marx and, and, and others in different philosophical directions. Um, and one of the ideas that I remember very clearly that comes out of the writings of Adam, um, of John Stuart Mill was the idea of the marketplace of ideas. And mm. his concept was, and this was one of the, the, the chief um, you know, ideas about capitalism, was that in a world of perfect information, nobody would ever be robbed because um, <clears throat> he didn't use this phrase, but the, the, the idea of like that sunshine is the best disinfectant. If every, you know, possible judgment of the facts is publicly available then the facts will be obvious to everyone and like only the true arguments will remain and everything else will be like objectively proven to be false i don't know if that's a philosophy that you know very much about but it, it certainly feels to me like at least in our modern age we've not yet figured out what right now we have so much information that almost the exact opposite is true you know that the the conditions john stuart mill were talking about were are somewhat being created, but we're getting the exact opposite, as you said, because there is just this flood of information and it's much harder to distinguish like what is a good fact and what is not. And even that phrasing sounds incredibly 1984 and disturbing. I mean, what is an, what is accurately a fact and what is right. Um, you know, inaccurate data basically. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's a little bit it's sort of like an ocean where you have a bunch of like, I want to call it truth serum, but like it's, a, it's truth and it's in a bottle and you pour it into the ocean. And if you poured it into like a sink or a glass, you'd be like, oh, here's all this truth. Right. But you pour it into the ocean. You're like, well, uh, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but it's, it's, it's hard to find. And, uh, you know, personally, I, I would like to get better at it. You yeah. know, I, I think I, I make a good effort, but I could make a better effort and I could learn, you know, more skills. I hope these are skills that are being taught like to children, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
I mean, I'm sure to some extent they're they're taught in in colleges and and hopefully in high schools. But like this is this is something that everybody needs to know how to contend with this you know deluge of information and how to sort through and and I think to some extent to be disciplined about you know kind of like what to let into our minds and yeah. what to internalize. You were talking a while ago about how you just never trust the expert. You, you trust the experts, but you always want to double check things. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I acknowledge, I think you're an incredibly intelligent person, one of the most intelligent I've ever met. I think I have high levels of social intelligence and things like that. I don't think I have yeah. quite the, the, that particular kind of mind as you do. And I'm someone who has like, you know, graduate degrees in research. I, I do know a good deal about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think if you gave me, you know, if you took out the names of the websites they came from and gave me a scientific paper written by a PhD, you know, <clears throat> climate change scientist and a paper by someone who was, um, you know, using the had, had learned the vocabulary of that enough to fake it, but was, you know, a guy who'd watched five Alex Jones videos and was reciting that, you know, I'm not sure I would know the difference without doing right. the like the further due diligence of figuring out where did these folks come from, you know, and because I, I think. One of the problems is it is now very possible to write a very to write what seems on the surface a very credible argument that explains why humans have never gone to the moon, or right. you know, Sandy Hook never existed. And I think, and, and like I said, I think of myself as someone who is quite intelligent and does have a graduate level education. In not, I mean, you can have a school of you, you you don't have any of that kind of the graduate degrees and stuff. And I think you're just as good at it. I'm not saying you have to have it. I'm saying I do have a lot of it. And right. I don't even trust myself in a lot of that regard. And I, while I'm, I very much understand your idea of, you know, it's important to kind of decide for yourself, I think that there's a lot of hubris that can go into that if you don't really know enough to know that. And I think a, a lot of what has been happening is people have been saying, well, you know, I, I read what the scientists said, but I read what my friend Blake, who was good in, you know, high school chemistry said, and and using my own mind i think blake is more convincing right um <clears throat> and i guess that's where i i i mean this could be a whole other you know 10 hours of philosophical debate about how we figure that out but i i think that's where i get scared somewhat is and god this sounds like such a horrible thing to say but i i i i'm somewhat i'm somewhat scared about the hubris i think of 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 humanity right now in terms of our mm. ability to feel like we can write we can read one wikipedia article or one you know right-wing or left-wing Wikipedia article and think we know everything. Yeah, so I think the key is, like, honesty Mm -hmm. with oneself. And I think when somebody reads one thing and then they read another thing and they just choose to believe the one that they prefer, uh, maybe that matches their preconceptions or maybe that lets them kind of do what they want when it's like, you know, one thing's like, oh, you probably shouldn't be doing this. And then something else is like, oh, doing this is fine. You're like, oh, see, it's like one-to-one. I'll go with this one. Right. You know, I, I, I think there is, you know, if I, – I guess it could be hubris, right? Mm-hmm. But I think more often it's just like denial. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, I, and, and so I think it can be either. But I think, you know, it's like are you doing your due diligence, right? And – and yeah, there's, you know, there's different ways of, um, you know, acquiring the skills to to kind of try to seek the truth, basically, right? Yeah. Like, you, you can do it in a, in a traditional, like, academic setting, or, you know, you can do it by just, 
by studying things actively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, one thing like Jeopardy, like inspired me to actually learn geography and like mm. know what all the countries are. Right. And, you know, it's nice to know what countries exist and where they are, because like these things matter because it's hard to care if your government is bombing people if you don't know they even exist. <laughs> but <laughs> like, it's unfortunately, I mean, like, like, I'm glad you go in that direction. Unfortunately, right. the reverse is generally what's true of like, well, I don't actually know if those people exist or where they are on a map. So I don't really care that we're bombing them. Right. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. My point is, oh, it's yeah. like, if you actually bother to learn about people, like who, who there is in the world, like you're going to care more about them and, uh, you know, or you might be, you have the capacity to, right. right. It's hard to care about someone you don't know exists basically is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's a skill, right. It is learning. Learning is a skill and kind of, uh, deciphering truth from lies is a skill or from misleading, right. you know, th sometimes there is real data. There are facts that are being used in a misleading way. Right. I mean, there's lies, damn lies and statistics, but the, you know, the truth is it's like, if you understand the st statistics, you can kind of sort out like when the statistics are lying, like right. how are the numbers being used? And you can say, okay, well, these are the likely biases in the data. I understand that's a hard thing for like everyone to do, like, right? And maybe it's unreasonable to hope people would do that. I'll give you a great example. And this happened just in a discussion I was having just a couple of days ago where I was talking to somebody who was very against the idea of Medicare for all. And mm -hmm. the argument they made was, you know, it sounded very simple on the basis of it. They said, look, <clears throat> right now, one eighth of Americans are on Medicare. And so that amount costs, you know, I forget the amount they said, maybe just to make up the number. It costs X. Yeah, it costs um, X. And so therefore, Medicare for all would cost 8X. Right. On the surface, that seems like a completely logical argument until you recognize that the X right now is in no means like just one random eighth of the American population. Yeah. It actually is the probably the eighth that has significantly more medical expenses than almost any other any other of the seven eighths, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> the argument actually makes no sense, but it sounds very simple on the, on its on its face. Right, exactly. It's like you can be like because math and it's like, yeah, but you're not accounting for the bias in your data and yeah. like you're ignoring economies of scale and the idea that maybe then the government can like actually bargain uh, over over drug right. drug prices, right? Negotiate, right? Like, or, or there's just all the these idea that, that like adding a 25 year old, a 25 year old is not going to have the same medical expenses as a 75 year old. You know, right? Exactly. That's that's the bias in the data, yeah, right? Exactly. Is that that the the one eighth of the population isn't a random slice of the population? Right. It is actually selected. It, there's a selection bias towards people who are more likely to have more medical expenses. Yeah. I want to pick up on one other thing you said because this is something that we actually studied in my grad school. Um. I think I've talked about this before. The grad school I went to, it was a religious school. It was a seminary. And I, I got a degree in sociology of religion and, and a degree in, in ministry because I was a pastor for some time. And, you know, you talk about an area where, like, religious, where, where objective fact and subjective, you know, belief clash. Religion is a perfect example. And I was at a school that was a very kind of, like, science factually based understanding of religion. And people might say that that doesn't make any sense, but I, I mean, like, you know, we would look to the stories of the Bible and say, okay, these stories are very important and very powerful, and they can have a lot of truth. But we also wanted to look at the facts of the story. 
And so, for example, you know, there was an archaeologist who was part of the faculty, and he did a three-hour lecture that pretty definitively proved that the people who we now think of as the Hebrew people were never actually in Egypt. Like, it just, that they weren't there. And that, like, from the records we have and from, like, archaeological records and, and you know, historical records, it's very clear that it was a completely different group of people who actually built the pyramids. Mm. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the story of Exodus, like, I, you know, to me, as a religious person, the story of Exodus has great power in the same way that the story of a farm boy who blows up a government installation of terror, you know, in, in Star Wars has power. Like, right. they have truth even if they don't have facts. Mm. But one thing that my professor was very good at was he would say, like, listen, so here's all the ways that we're going to take this biblical story and prove to you that it didn't happen. But now I also want you to know that if you go in as a pastor and your first day as a, a person in a new church, you say, by the way, that story that you've been like telling yourself to help you sleep better at night for 80 years isn't true. You're going to be looking for a new job next Sunday, you know? Right. That's, that's not like in the, like don't put that on your resume. And I think that unfortunately one of the things that we've not been very good at, you know, and, and I mean, that's true in religion, but it's also, you know, like many people like, you know, believe like America is the greatest country of all time. And, you can subjectively understand that, and that can be a subjective debate we can have. But there's also often people believe that in part because they're objective realities that they don't know in terms of like, you know, the the many times America has invaded places and done terrible things or like what we did in the Philippines or, you know, what racism was like or, or internment and of the Japanese Americans or whatever these things are. And what I so often see is people sort of like, you know, using facts as a weapon to try to like berate people who have a, a subjective understanding that someone else thinks they shouldn't because it's not based in mm -hmm. a good set of objective facts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is getting into a whole other area of the discussion, but I, it's like, I think that we need to, as a culture, be a lot better about objective reality. But we also need to understand, like if we're trying to convince other people of that, we need to kind of understand what are the myths people have built up around object what they think of as objective realities that are false. And how do we, how do we convince them of the different objective realities in ways that don't feel like we're stripping away everything they hold dear? That's um, that's that's a lot. Yeah, I mean uh, that's a whole other thing, and this is now pretty far away from Alex Trebek and Jeopardy. But I, I would use the phrase "Don't get me started on religion." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, put aside religion entirely. You know, it has nothing to do with yeah. religion. It, I think it's just about you know, like even like, you know, um. No. Uh, like the one of the things I think is amazing is that like all these people who are going to like study their own like they get the DNA records you know right. and like white racists are realizing like they have much more like you know African blood in them they would have ever thought you know mm -hmm. or, or like you know people like being told like actually we can historically prove that your family were slave owners you know or something like that right right yeah I, I think um, I think sort of stripping people of their preconceptions or or presenting information that might undermine like someone's entire worldview is like how do we go about doing that i think that's a super interesting question that i'll probably have to have its own episode at some point yeah, no for sure for sure um i mean so much to say about it but i i I, I don't see how I could start that conversation now, but I, I, but you know, your point is well taken that it needs to be done with an understanding 
of the extent to which someone has built up kind of their worldview based on a certain, you know, what they view as a set of facts or a, a set of assumptions or, you know, right. a particular understanding of what's going on in the world that, you know, we may or may not disagree with. It, it makes me wonder, I mean, to pull it back to what our actual topic is supposed to be, um, I wonder if there are questions that, you know, or, you know, clues um, that were on Jeopardy where, like, it is objectively true, that the fact is objectively true, but also somewhat unknown. Mm. And I wonder if there were times where, like, there was a fact that is, like, that could have political, you know, like, a fact about, you know, American history or something like that. And and I hope this never happened, but I also kind of wonder, like, you know, were there ever discussions between, like, network executives and fact checkers and Alex Trebek about, like, yeah, maybe let's not, you know go into the facts of the like you know internment camps especially in the 80s you know or something like that um right i have no idea but i'd be very curious to know like you know or did they ever get like large amounts of angry emails from you know or angry letters probably about like you know how dare you say that fact about biblical archaeology or whatever it is right i mean that's a good question i i, I don't have any any information about that happening or not happening but you know, I, I can't recall there being a whole bunch of clues that were like, oh, wow, they said that. But I, I can actually remember in the last couple of years, there being a few that were mm. kind of like, oh, you know, that fact sort of points you to a point of view. Right. You know, and uh, I don't think the fact was necessarily um, questionable mm -hmm. so much, but although all the answers on Jeopardy are questionable, literally, because right. they're, they're um, questions, yeah. <laughs> Alex is the man with all the answers. The, the guests just ask the questions. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there are ones where it's like, well, if you know that fact or you accept that fact is true, which is, you know, it's demonstrably true, then it might be hard for you to hold certain other views, right? right? Um, but there, I think, I think the show did a, has done a fairly good job of not being too political, but presenting information that I think, uh, you know, kind of kind of straddles the the difference a little bit between, yeah. you know, like I'm trying to remember if they have any questions about say the 2000 election. Oh, that'd be know? interesting. Um, I mean, or even something those... like you know. What war was started based on a belief that, you know, nuclear weapons existed that were never actually... I mean, that would be too obvious, but, you know, something right, about... Right, yeah, like, yeah, know, that, that definitely wasn't a thing, it, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there are, there are objective facts that are now known about Vietnam that were right. not told to the American people. You know, the American people mm -hmm. were lied to about, you know, and that some people yeah, still yeah, might mean, not know. Um, right. Think like, you know... Anyway, yeah. so all of this... This has been a great topic, and I know all of this comes down to, you know, how we learn and how we understand facts and how we you know, take in new facts. And, and as you said, like how we evaluate, try to make these things. And it's all about how we learn. And um, I, I know you haven't quite really gotten fully ready to kind of like, you know, launch the next step of it. Um, but I know, Paul, that the idea of like how people learn and is something that's really important to you and something you've been doing a lot of work on. So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about like what you're, what you're doing and what people might be able to see from you in the not too distant future? Yeah, so I'm I'm doing a daily streaming on Twitch. I don't have a fixed time yet. I may at some point, but uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash zenmadman or just search for zenmadman like anywhere and hopefully it'll pop up. I'll work on my SEO to make sure that's a true statement. Um, and and but, I'll put a link to it in the show notes for the show. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, you know, I am like I'm kind of obsessed with learning myself. Um, 
I, I left college like at, in the first year, I guess, and read more books in the following six months than I'd read in the five years prior. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I just always am very interested in acquiring knowledge, acquiring skill, and then also understanding how people acquire knowledge and skill. And I really enjoy sharing that, you know, my own journey with people and then also helping people on their own journeys and just, you know, talking about learning and learning together. And so, you know, I stream some poker and talk about, you know, how to get better at poker, but also kind of how understanding poker can help us understand uncertainty. Uh, and then Matthew and I did some some chess stream today where we looked at a, a chess game he played and kind of analyzed that and talked about like how we improve our ability to to think like strategically. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I do some language learning and, and uh you know, eventually maybe I'll maybe I'll stream some some Satera, some geography uh, app in in honor of Alex Trebek uh, tonight or tomorrow. That'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, so you know you can find me there, and um, you know I just look forward to any conversations about learning and knowledge and awesome. developing skills. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for uh, suggesting this topic, uh, or at least uh, I think I suggested this, but you were talking about like you talking to me about how important Alex Trebek and Jeopardy was to you was kind of what, what yeah, led and then to you us. came up with it. Um, uh, for, to our listeners, what do you think? You know, I'd love to know kind of were you a big Jeopardy fan? What, what did Alex Trebek mean to you? What's your take on all these ideas of, you know, objective and subjective facts and, and how we how we deal with the sort of dearth of objectivity in, in our in our culture today? Or is it a good thing? Like, should there be no such thing as objective facts? That's a perspective i certainly some think some people can argue um i think objectively it's wrong but you know that's the, like that's the fun <laughs> part of discussing all this you may have a um fairly strong thought that uh, a show about superhero ethics should stop talking about jeopardy and chess and karate and get back <laughs> to like people in capes um perfectly legitimate i will say that it's not quite capes but it's science fiction um we do have an episode on uh star trek and the way star trek approaches ethical questions particularly in season one of the original series uh, that was going to go out when this was out. Uh, I think because of the discussion about Alex Trebek being so like in the news, we decided to bump that one week. But I promise you, we are getting back to science fiction and superheroes very soon. Uh, <laughs> but we thought, you know, like knowledge is important. Learning is important. Uh, geekiness is, is ba- you know, this is all kind of wrapped up together. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, all the ways you can contact me, uh, or contact this podcast, just search for Superhero Ethics on Facebook, on Twitter. You can also... Um, Best way to get all of that is in the show notes for this episode, or just go to strandedpanda.com and search for, and then click on the superhero ethics button, uh, and that will show you all the links. Um, on that website, you can also find all the other web uh, podcasts I'm a part of. In particular, I want to recommend the Star Wars Universe podcast, uh, which on which right now myself, along with Paul and um, Ashley Coffin, Jeff Randall, uh, Riki, and Sarah Hayashi. At various points, all these different people are joining me to discuss The Mandalorian. Uh, every Friday, we're doing a watch party of it. Every seven, uh, 7.30... E- every Friday night, we're doing a watch party of it. 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, um, uh, 6.30 Mountain, 5.30 Pacific, etc. Uh, you can hop online with us, watch along with us, live chat and text and things like that. And then we're going to put an episode out about The Mandalorian every week. We already have the first two out, uh, including a long discussion about why... Baby Yoda is kind of a jerk for eating all those eggs. So, you know, uh, interesting discussions we had there. Check all that out. Thank you so much for being a fan. Have a good day.